we need to see some relief on interest rates. Uh, that would be ideal. You know, we need to see the city continue to push planning approvals. And um, as a development company um, and as a business uh, person in the city, we're working hard with the city to make sure that uh, they understand the importance of, you know, moving approvals through the process quickly. Um, but there is a there is a bit of a long jam there that they're working hard to, to clear up. Hi everyone, thank you for joining us today. We have a very, very special guest, Hugh Goldman, who is the CEO at Colonnade Bridgeport here in Ottawa. I know Colonnade doing big things. You have so many projects in your pipeline, obviously doing great things in terms of uh, housing and other types of properties in the city. Hugh, I appreciate your time here right now in, in Portugal. So you're doing work and vacation as well. So First time I'm doing a podcast with somebody overseas. I know you live in Canada, in Ottawa, obviously, but first time yeah. doing with somebody <laughs> overseas. This is an honor. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Oh, that's great. Uh, so, you tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I've been um, I've been starting to count the years. It's been a long time. It's been over three decades in uh, in the real estate business, and I've done a bunch of different things over the years. But uh, I've always been really um, really interested in real estate from the time that I was in high school. And this just was a career that I decided that, uh, you know, I, I, that's what I wanted to do um, from the time I finished uh, high school and went through university and was fortunate to get uh, my career started at Canderell in Ottawa. And um, Canderell was an incredibly, uh, you know, creative entrepreneurial company. It still is. Uh, and, uh, and they let, uh, you know, young people like me, um, you know, get a chance to uh, uh, figure out, uh, you know, kind of where they fit in the real estate spectrum and uh, encouraged us to take chances and take risk. And so I started, uh, you know, in a marketing role and uh, I've done everything from marketing to leasing to development, asset management, investment, um, and um, started uh, Bridgeport uh, when I left Oxford Properties back in 2009. So I've kind of seen it all in a bunch of different markets across the country and uh, um, came back to Ottawa, and, as I said, in 2009 to start Bridgeport. And that's um, that's been what I've been doing, I guess, now for the last uh, almost dozen years. It's hard to believe how quickly time is going, but uh, uh, having a great time doing it. No, that's very good. So obviously a wealth of experience. And you mentioned that you started out in marketing. Uh, is there any difference in marketing at that time when you started and now in the real estate space? Well, okay. I'm really going to date myself here, but yeah, there's a, <laughs> I, now that's a glorified title because I started as the person that was in charge of marketing for their commercial uh, portfolio. But my actual first job was um, running around with a film camera taking pictures of competitive building directory boards because we built a database to cold call our competitors tenants and so you know that gives you an idea first of all they weren't digital directory boards and it wasn't a digital camera wow. <laughs> and it was an it was an excel-based uh, database so that was my summer job that first year and then uh, as i said kendra was you know super entrepreneurial so you know i just started, you know, trying to figure out how to lease space and nobody stopped me. And that's how I, uh, you know, transitioned from not just marketing, but in, into leasing. So yeah, there's a lot that's changed uh, since then. <laughs> wow. That's very good, but it's still the same principle. You got to build a database. 
Yeah, you got to build a database. You've got to, uh, you know, have good quality product, and you've got to figure out a way to get it in front of both brokers and tenants. And um, and then, you know, once you get the tenants in, you got to you got to execute uh, and you know have good quality product and be a good quality manager. And those things haven't changed, so that's still the way that it works. Wow, that's very good. As CEO of College Bridgeport, you oversee the sourcing, development, and management of real estate assets for your clients. How do you ensure that you meet your clients' objectives? Well, it starts with making sure you understand their objectives. And, um, you know, it's not really the opportunity that drives the investment. It's the capital that drives the investment. And so having a clear understanding and we invest our own equity and um, we've really got kind of two uh, types of clients. We mainly invest private equity in partnership with institutional uh, clients who raise their own capital and deploy it, but are looking for uh, an operating partner that, uh, you know, can identify the opportunity in the marketplace, uh, you know, create the opportunity, whether it's acquisition or development. Uh, and then, you know, execution has to be there. But, you know, it starts with investor objectives and uh, you've got to make sure that A, you understand them, B, that um, all the investors that are making an investment are aligned and so that there's no kind of uh, disconnect around alignment, which is probably the single biggest uh, challenge when you're putting investment deals uh, together. Uh, so making sure that alignment is there and making sure that they truly understand uh, the risk because real estate, obviously, uh, depending on what you're doing, you know, it can be more or less risky, but it, you know, generally it's, uh, it's, it's risky and, uh, you know, a, a risky way to deploy uh, a capital to get a return. And so it's making sure that, um, you know, we've got a clear understanding. Does the investment opportunity meet the objectives of the investors? Are those investors all aligned? And then it's all about execution at that point. And that's where Colonnade Bridgeport excels is, uh, is you know, in the, the execution of the strategy around the asset. Wow. You mentioned one point which I found very insightful. So you say that it's not the opportunity that drives the investment, it's uh, the capital. Right. Yeah. Why did you say that? Well, because, you know, people have capital and they're deploying it with an expectation. And, uh, you know, it's about kind of matching the return to the risk that the investor is willing to take. And, um from there, then you figure out where the opportunity lies. And so we tend to do things more kind of in the value add to opportunistic end of the spectrum. So we're typically not buying stable assets because our capital needs a, you know, a better return than, um, you know, buying core stabilized income, uh, as an example. You know, there are other capital sources, traditionally institutional capital sources that, you know, maybe have a lower uh, return threshold, but want more stability. And we just find our capital is not competitive in that space. So we've been in the value you add opportunistic space, either buying assets to reposition them or repurposing them, and then uh, ground up development most recently over the past, you know, five or six years uh, in the multifamily uh, space. But, you know, making sure that uh, the investor, if they're looking for capital return or income return, what are those expectations? Are those uh, return expectations for the risk that they're willing to take realistic? And once you've kind of identified that, then it's about, okay, is there opportunity in the marketplace? And uh, it's about seeking that out and sourcing the deals and, and getting the deal done. So it starts with capital uh, and capital objectives. And then uh, that capital flows into opportunities where there's where there's a match. And that's kind of what we do is to try to figure out where those opportunities are going to be. Hopefully not where everybody else has been and we're kind of late to the game. And so it's one of the things of 
you know, having an operating platform and, you know, people on the ground in the markets uh, where we're investing, truly understanding the market, it allows us to, I think, be be very creative and, uh, you know, early in terms of identification of opportunities. Oh, wow. That's very good. You're definitely very good at what you do. And I got to ask, so you're in Portugal, sure. you're doing both business and vacation. I'm curious, what are you doing business-wise in Portugal, if you don't mind oh. sharing? <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm not actually really doing any business in Portugal. Um, the Portugal part is pleasure, but but I'm working while I'm here. That's what I was trying to say. So, yeah, no, I'm not doing anything uh, yet in Portugal. Who knows? But, uh, you know, real estate's kind of, you know, in the veins. And so I'm always poking around looking at things. And uh, Portugal's booming. Uh, there's no question about it uh, from a real estate perspective. But, uh, yeah, no, not doing anything right now. <laughs> That's good. Well, you loved your job, so you're working, and hopefully your partner is okay with you working. Yeah, well, for sure. Yeah, she is. She's kind of used to it now. My <laughs> my wife my, my wife's um, retired, uh, but um, I don't know. I've always, you know, I, for me, there's not really a ton of separation. I mean, you obviously try to get some downtime and a break, and I'm doing that while I'm here. But uh, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of typically even. When I'm away, I'm kind of staying in touch. You kind of need to when you're the owner of a business and and uh, running a business. So it's just the way it's always been. It's just it's just normal for me to be here in in Portugal. It's a great place to work, by the way. Uh, you know, uh, internet's good and uh, the weather. Um, it's kind of kind of fun too because uh, you know my day starts at you know kind of one o'clock in the afternoon Portugal time. So I got the morning to do whatever I want to do and then. Uh, and and then the clock starts uh, when you know Eastern Standard Time when things kind of kick off back at home. Oh wow, it sounds like fun, and I could definitely tell you love your work and you have passion for it. Oh, there's no question about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of not work when it sounds kind of you know kind of corny to say it, but uh, when you really do love what you do, it's it's not really work. Wow, that's amazing. No wonder you're very successful. So what's the difference between working for Canada's largest pension funds, landlords, and private company? Hmm. I mean, listen, the basic principles are the same. They're all investing capital into real estate to generate a return. Um, I would say that most of our uh, institutional clients that we uh, either partner with on the investment side or provide services to in terms of you know traditional real estate services, I would say there's a sophistication level with uh, institutional investors, pension funds, you know, asset management advisors, aggregators of capital, just a perspective, uh, you know, where they've been through cycles before. So they don't tend to react, you know, when there's changes in the market, uh, they usually a bit longer term in terms of perspective, but, you know, equally as uh, demanding because in terms of, you know, requirements around ESG and technology to support and reporting requirements, they're definitely more demanding that way than typically private investors are. But I would say just a little more sophistication, patience, maturity, because, you know, they've been doing this, uh, you know, for long periods of time and they've got patient capital. On the private side, I would say the investors are typically more entrepreneurial, willing to take a lot more risk, typically looking for more risk. I find on the private side, most of our our investment, uh, you know, transactions in the past have been, as I said, in that value add opportunistic space. So investors looking for a bigger yield and willing to take on more risk. And I would say 
you know, that's what they trust us to do on their behalf is to deploy that capital, you know, manage uh, the strategy for the asset, manage the asset itself. But, you know, at times when, when things get bumpy, they've got a lot more questions and they're a lot more curious about what's going on. And, uh, you know, when they read stuff or see things, they're quick to pick up the phone and call you. And that's not a bad thing. We're fortunate to have really high quality people as, uh, you know, investors, people that, uh, you know, in some cases have become friends over the years. And so I, I really enjoy that side of our business and there's lots of growth in the private equity uh, space, but we're very, very fortunate to have the stability of the institutional clients that we have. And they've, you know, brought us to the GTA, you know, from Ottawa. That's how we've kind of expanded organically is with institutional clients that have asked us to go um, to other markets uh, to manage on their behalf. And so um, there's a lot of stability there. And uh, if you perform and you execute, they're traditionally very loyal. And uh, that's been the case in the experience that we've had. And we're very fortunate uh, for that. Uh, you know, but both, uh, you know, private and institutional clients, it is a relationship business. It's about having trusted relationships. It starts with truly understanding objectives, uh, trying to find opportunities that are aligned to those objectives and then execution is critical uh, making sure that you're communicating around the strategy and when things are going good you're communicating but even more so if you know the markets there's instability in the market or challenges with an asset you've got to make sure that you're you're communicating and and having a strong relationship is what um you know gives um you know the investors comfort that you're doing the right thing on their behalf um uh, you know, at all times. And so making sure that those relationships stay strong, keeping in touch, making sure that they're, you know, things aren't changing in their world such that it's going to impact their investment. And if, if it is, you know, what can we do to support that? So, you know, the relationship part of it is applicable to doesn't matter who the investor is. Okay. That's very good. Uh, so you talked about communication being key, depending on what's happening in the market. What has that communication been like, for example, maybe 2022, or 2023, which was a challenging year? Well, listen, and I think to a degree, somewhat uh, ongoing, right? Uh, when you think about the office uh, market in particular, trying to uh, anticipate what's going on in the market as part of the communication strategy. Um, if it's going to be bumpy, then just be honest and tell them it's going to be bumpy. And what are you doing uh, to make sure that uh, you're doing everything you possibly can to uh, get space leased or in the case of development, um, you know, the capital markets have been pretty seized up for a year and a half, and it's been very challenging to get development projects out of the ground. Construction costs have been up. You know, obviously, interest rates are up on, you know, on, uh, con well, all financing, but construction financing in particular. Um, covenant uh, requirements are increasing. And so there's a lot of volatility um, in the market right now, uh, pressure on, you know, income uh, producing assets and uh, mortgage rollovers and things like that. So, you know, you just got to be straight with people, uh, tell them what you see and tell them what you're doing about it. Open the door for input and make sure that, you know, you're not um, down a path that your clients aren't comfortable with or alternatively um, don't understand. And so it's just all about making sure that you're in tune with the market. You can't put your head in the sand. You got to know what's going on. You got to anticipate where things are going. And then you got to be clear in your communication about what that means uh, for the investment, whether it's good times or bad. That's just you know, part of being a good partner, uh, a good uh, advisor and, uh, and a good uh, service provider. That's very good. 
Colonnade Bridgeport has $2 billion of multifamily and mixed-use development pipeline across Ottawa. Yep. How long is it going to take to build these assets? <clears throat> Too long. Uh, I'll start by saying that. Um, too long. Uh, listen, I think it's somewhat a, a function of uh, uh, of the capital markets, but it's a, it's a decade's worth of development. Simple answer. It, depending on the density that we go for and that the market can support, it's between eighteen hundred and twenty two hundred units. You know, with commercial uh, mixed use attached to that, I would say that. Um, you know, we're we're feeling very confident that um, we're we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel for 2024 in terms of the capital markets. Uh, there's both equity and debt for construction projects that's uh, that's coming back to the market. Construction pricing has stabilized so that we can at least kind of put a number in the pro forma that we're confident in without having you know crazy contingency that makes the yield not palatable. And so we're seeing some stability. At, the challenge with that is that we've only got so much capacity in the Ottawa uh, market in terms of, you know, construction labor and, and materials. There's a bunch of projects in the pipe, and I'm concerned that uh, everybody knows that on the demand side, we're very, very short supplied. I mean, across the country, but in Ottawa in particular. And so um, we could easily see that kind of capacity in the system get um, absorbed and we could be into... Um, you know, spiking prices again on the construction side, which would create some challenges. So we need to be realistic. We're moving all of our projects ahead to detailed design such that we can get definitive pricing. And it's our hope that, um, you know, we'll be quick uh, to uh, shovel uh, in the ground in 2024 and, and feel confident we'll have at least two projects going by the end of the year, maybe three uh, by the end of the year this year. So uh, fingers crossed that all those things line up uh, perfectly. And I'm, I, when I say fingers crossed that, you know, it sounds like we're hoping, uh, we're not hoping, we're, we're planning, but um, there's some things that have to happen favorably in the market to support that. Okay, so you've anticipated your planning. You're not only hoping, but you have your fingers crossed. Why are your fingers crossed? Well, listen, I think we need to see some relief on interest rates. Uh, that would be ideal. You know, we need to see the city continue to push planning approvals. And that's something that as a development company um, and as a business uh, person in the city, we're working hard with the city to make sure that uh, they understand the importance of, you know, moving approvals through the process quickly. Um, but there is a there is a bit of a long jam there that they're working hard to, to clear up. And if you know we're, we're expecting them to, and you know that's a, that's an important part of the process that we don't necessarily control. Um, so there's things like that things that we can't uh, we can't control that we're crossing our fingers stay favorable okay you made one other point that for your pipeline the plan is for a decade essentially and you mentioned a certain number of units depending on what the market can absorb obviously there is pressure on the supply side but what would indicate that the market is bouncing out in terms of supply and demand and the risk of the scale tipping to the other side where there's too much supply that would be a good problem to have now. Yeah, listen, I, I mean, uh, the real estate market uh, historically, uh, and I think, you know, I think we're getting much better at being able to evaluate the demand side of the equation and data around the demand side. So, but historically, we've overbuilt, right? We go through these boom bust cycles where we overbuild 
you know, development, doesn't matter what type of development is, it's a long lead time item. And, you know, by the time you're through land acquisition to entitlement to, you know, design, construction, stabilization, you know, it's three, four or five years, depending on the scale of the project. And, um, you know, a lot happens in three or four or five years from the demand side. So our view is, uh, you know, for the next decade, you know, Ottawa, Canada, but Ottawa specifically, is extremely short supplied. Even if everything that's in the pipe today, um, from a you know a pre-development standpoint, uh, you know going through the city for for development applications, got approved and got built, we still wouldn't have enough housing. And so, we believe that we've got a we've got a five to ten year window where we're not worried about the demand, but that's maybe you know a little too optimistic uh, in terms of uh, thinking of it that way but we're 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 watching it closely but i i don't think it's going to be a significant factor you know in the next uh, kind of 5 to 10 years 10 you know we might start to see a switch to you know a more balanced market and maybe you know um, too much supply and not enough demand but uh, we're just seeing all sorts of uh, opportunities for growth, whether it be immigration, you know, net uh, migration from other provinces or other cities to Ottawa, and the student population, you know, continues to grow. Now, I know the Fed's made an announcement uh, since I've been over here, but, um, you know, again, one of the things that I think is um, relatively short-sighted just from a macroeconomic policy perspective would be to start to put constraints around uh, supply and and constraints around the demand side of the equation. You know, we need immigration uh, to grow. Maybe it's happening, you know, a little more quickly than than the country can absorb it, but um, uh, we still need to have a pro-immigration policy. Um, we need to encourage and keep foreign students um, and uh, when I say keep them, uh, there's no point training them here and then having them move away somewhere else, wherever that might be. We've got to do a much better job at keeping that uh, skilled, uh, trained workforce uh, in the city. That's good. I'm a product of that. I came as an international student and now I've been here ever since 2005. So definitely love it. Yeah, that's I mean, listen, you're the poster child for what we should be doing right here but uh, <laughs> hopefully that uh, there's some lessons learned there okay that's very good that's very good in your view how is technology transforming the real estate landscape and what role does colonnade play in this transformation well it's transforming real estate in every facet and i think we're just at the very front end of the curve i would say colonnade bridgeport is a very interested fast follower we're you know a relatively small company comparatively speaking and has uh, you know a limited balance sheet to be investing in its own technology and so when i say a fast follower we're you know counting on our institutional clients as an example to you know tell us where they're going and what they're thinking about so that we can make sure that we adapt i was told the other day by our head of it that um, we're the we are the broadest platform user of Yardi in Canada right now. So we use more of the platform in terms of the various tools that come with Yardi of anybody in Canada. So when I say we're a fast follower, we're adopting technology and trying to utilize that technology like anybody that the technology that we have in our hand and on our, uh, you know, on our desks is extremely powerful and we typically only use little bits of it. And so we're trying to make sure that we find 
technology that's integrated that will allow us to uh, continue to use the data that comes out of our platform, you know, to predict where things are going, predict tenant uh, demand and needs, um, operate the buildings more efficiently, um, and, uh, um, you know, allows us to report uh, you know, real time, uh, much more efficiently to our clients, um, you know, way more efficiently than we've ever done it. And so we're continuing to look to where we can adopt technologies that exist and apply it to what we do. But every every part of our business from, um, you know, we're evaluating development um, software with design teams for projects on the architectural side, you know, design tools are changing uh, dramatically in how we're predicting the impact on the efficiency of the construction process and the scheduling around the construction process and the materials used in the construction process. There's, um, you know, how we can make it more efficient, how we can green buildings. Um, these are all things that are changing from, you know, a development perspective. IoT in the buildings, um, you know, in terms of how we can mine data uh, out of buildings and and actually, you know, manage systems more efficiently um, based on an occupancy load and how the buildings are being used and that technology is, you know, now affecting the manufacturing and efficiency of equipment that goes into the building. So chillers and building automation systems and things like that. So there's, you know, raising capital. I mean, there's going to be, uh, you know, crowdsourcing uh, of, of uh, capital raising is going to dramatically change how, you know, real estate is capitalized and how investors invest. And there, there isn't one aspect of our business that isn't being impacted by technology. Wow, you're definitely in tune. I don't know about that. I feel like a neophyte, to be honest with you. It's just, you know, like you feel like, I don't know, you ever have one of those recurring dreams where you're constantly running, trying to keep up, but you never get to where you're going? Like, it's one of those things. It feels like it's uh, it's um, it's exciting uh, and challenging. But the one thing that... Um, we're not a we're not an IT company. We can't get distracted by trying to develop our own technology. Um, there's lots of really high quality uh, tech companies out there, and so as I said, we're we're a fast follower trying to adopt um, technology that exists. You know, maybe customizing it off the shelf a little bit, but for the most part, um, um, using technologies that exist and applying it to, you know, all aspects of our business from development to real estate operations to, to investment. Yeah. I didn't even talk about analyzing data for investments. So I mean, like there's a whole, we could have a half hour conversation on that, that topic. I, I love your philosophy of being a fast follower. Uh, obviously there's advantages to that. One of them being learning from the mistakes of others. So that's very good. Well, I don't know. It's working for us so far. We'll see. Um, but uh, things are changing so rapidly in every aspect of our business. It's, uh, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, again, our job is to uh, be a good fiduciary for capital and um, really uh, understand what's going on in the marketplace such that we can support the investment uh, asset strategy and, and then execute. And so that's really kind of the, kind of the focus of our business. And that's where we're, we're staying focused. And it's not a necessity uh, more than by design. Okay. And you touched on this point a little bit, but what are you seeing in the real estate market currently, particularly in Ottawa? Well, I'm seeing, uh, you know, I would say lots of volatility uh, for sure. I think our transit worries, uh, you know, are 
eventually going to go away. When we look at this over kind of a generation, I think we're going to look back on these early transit years and kind of have forgotten about them. And I think, you know, there's uh, strong stewardship now at the city, uh, you know, no pun intended, but getting getting the LRT back on track. And uh, I feel like we've got such an opportunity inside the green belt for intensification around transit. Uh, it is going to be, you know, a world-class transit system when it's completed. I'm not a big fan or believer in continuing to, you know, expand outside the green belt. I just don't think our city has the capability financially. It's, you know, the geography of our city to keep, you know, building outside the green belt is a real challenge, uh, in my view, for us to support long the infrastructure long term. And so I think we've got to really think uh, long and hard about um, developing inside the green belt. And I think, you know, over time, um, people's consumption habits as it relates to real estate are going to change both commercially and residentially. Uh, and I think we have lots of opportunity and uh, underutilized land inside the green belt to come up with mixed housing topologies that, you know, are supported by existing infrastructure, supported by the LRT. And so I'm a big believer in, um, you know, intensifying uh, Ottawa specifically, generally as a as a thesis, but Ottawa specifically inside the green belt, which is where we've made all of our land investment. And so I guess it's kind of self-serving, you might say, but it's a philosophy that we believe is the right way for the city to build. Um, and then you think about all the infrastructure that's required to support you know, a growing population, healthcare, schools, you know, community centers, uh, and then the infrastructure to move people around. I think we've got, you know, lots of capacity um, to do that inside the Greenbelt in Ottawa. So we're, we're big believers that, you know, that we're going to continue to see and encourage all sorts of development uh, uh, inside the, inside, uh, the Greenbelt. You know, I think we've got some work to do with the feds. I think the office market downtown is working its way through uh, a rebalancing and a repurposing. Again, I think there are potentially buildings for conversion. It's not the panacea to solve the, the housing uh, crisis. And so I think we've got, you know, functionally obsolete buildings that need to be demolished and repurposed. And um, I think we're going to see that over time too. So I, I'm, again thinking about in kind of the core areas, um, continued uh, development of all sorts of housing topologies, but also better functional office space and better at grade retail to create walking communities. And so I think we're going to continue to see opportunities along main streets for repositioning of assets, um, repurposing of some office assets and um, whether it be conversion or demolition and then additional density added to the urban area so that's predominantly what we're focused on well that's very good so yeah this has been an awesome conversation huh, i enjoyed it as well yeah and i definitely need to go back and listen for sure so many great points and so much insight uh what's going on in ottawa i was going to ask you about transit in uh portugal but maybe we can talk about that at another time but this has been great <laughs> okay. thank you very much for taking the time my pleasure mateo appreciate you having me on Thank you very much. You enjoy the rest of your vacation. Okay, thanks a lot. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye now. Bye.